Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and this is my conversation with Kevin J. Anderson, one of the most prolific Star Wars authors of all time. From the beginnings of the expanded universe to Darksaber and the Young Jedi Knight series, we really go through the history of those original Bantam books. And then we talk some Dune, of course. It is an honor to say that this is Talking Bay 94, episode 40. Kevin J. Anderson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Talk Bay 94. Uh, today we are joined by prolific Star Wars author, uh, Mr. Kevin J. Anderson. Uh, thank you so, so much for, for coming on the show today. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. We adjusted the, the timing of this one just enough so I could go out do a walking, do dictating two new chapters in a new novel and came back and had lunch and I'm ready to talk Star Wars. So it's it's all day, every day, just making up stuff. That's my job as a writer. I love it. Well, you mentioned dictating, and I was going to jump into it a little bit later, but I'd love to start with that. Your your process is something very unique for authors. Um, maybe explain it a little bit, uh, because I, I find it so fascinating, because it really adds a lot to when you then read your books again to understand how you've created that world. Well, one interesting aspect is all of my audiobook narrators um, the people who who do the books on on tape or whatever, they contact me afterward and they they say that my books are some of the easiest ones to read for audiobooks and and part of that is because I dictate them all myself. I go out hiking with a handheld digital recorder and I'm I live in Colorado so I've got millions of trails all over the place to go into the mountains and the forests and sand dunes and any kind of terrain I like and um, I go out just walking and I, I think up sentences and I dictate them rather than sitting cooped up in an office with the phone ringing and, and all kinds of stuff distracting me and trying to type them. Um, I've, I'm a big outliner. Uh, a lot of writers are, they call themselves pantsers, where they just sort of sit down and make it up by the seat of their pants and, and then do a lot of rewriting until everything comes out in the end. And I'm more of, a, of an architect or a plotter that I like to have everything blueprinted out in detail so that I know that this happens in chapter one and this happens in chapter two and this happens in chapter three and just laying it all out so that I I know. And then um, I will take my notes for, I usually do two chapters a day and each of my chapters are 2,000 words or so. So that means I'm writing four or 5,000 words a day every single day and I'll take my notes of uh, like just today, I wrote chapter 81 and 82 uh, out of 100 in a big new fantasy novel that I'm I'm writing. And uh, I had chapter 81. Here was this one paragraph long. This is this is what happens, and the the dragon comes and attacks the camp, and the fighters are getting together, and then this other group comes in, like Han Solo at the end of Star Wars, and and you know that's that's what happens in chapter 81. So then I go out with that little summary and then I flesh it out with, you know, literally every chapter, I mean, every sentence and every paragraph and all the descriptions and the dialogue and everything. And I just walk along and I, and I dictate it and I've trained myself so that like every writer, you have to think of a sentence and then you have to preserve it somehow. And if you are sitting at a keyboard, you think up the sentence and then you deconstruct that sentence into words and you deconstruct those words into letters and then you make your fingers move up and down on a keyboard to reproduce those letters to make those words to make that sentence that shows up on your screen 
well, that's a lot more steps than just thinking up the sentence and speaking it out your mouth. And so I I find that it's much more straightforward, and I, I love being able to hike and walk in the mountains or uh, be snowshoeing in the uh, uh, Rocky Mountains if I want to or climbing the sand dunes in Death Valley. Just just as I'm, you know, having surrounded by alien and fantastic landscapes as I'm making up my own fantasy worlds or science fiction worlds. One note I'd like to say, because I outline so carefully, that's sort of a skill you have to develop if you're going to be working on anything like Star Wars mm. or Star Trek or, or anything, because you don't just get to make it up as you go along. Everything has to be approved by, well, when I worked, it was just straight the people at Lucasfilm. You you can't just say, surprise, here's the story I wrote. They they want to know exactly what you're doing, and because there's a lot of moving parts, they've got other writers writing other books, and they need to make sure that your story doesn't contradict anybody else's story and in you know some of the more... Um, stranger circumstances, they have to make sure that, that this scene in your story doesn't contradict the micro-machine <laughs> or action figure that they're trying to come up with. Right. So you you really, if you're writing media tie-in books, if you're working with a licensor like, like Lucasfilm or Disney or or Star Trek, Batman, Superman, whatever it is, that, I mean, I've worked on all of these, <laughs> you need to submit everything ahead of time, and they have all of their lawyers and approval people go through. And so you need to you know tell them what you're going to deliver and then you need to deliver exactly that so it it helps to be an outlining type person yeah exactly and let's go back i guess then to where did this love of writing and outlining and and, and creating these uh worlds start what was that first impetus for you oh man it was like when i was five years old i was just this little kid and in a small town, Wisconsin, I was I was kind of like Ralphie from the movie A Christmas Story. That's kind of what my Midwestern life was. I was the, the little nerdy kid with glasses and a bad haircut and hand-me-down clothes. And I liked reading comic books, but everybody else around me were my, my cousins, and they wanted bicycles, and they, they climbed trees and built forts, and they did all sorts of rough-and-tumble boy stuff. And so I got picked on as a kid because I was the... I always got straight A's in school, and I was making up stories about, you know, Mars and aliens and things, and and I just kind of wanted to escape my my dreary kind of Norman Rockwell small town Midwestern childhood, and I just made up stories, and I first borrowed my dad's typewriter, typing them out, and and then I got my own typewriter, and. Um, that shows how old I am. Some of your listeners are going, typewriters? What's a typewriter? Um, but that's, I mean, I've just been wired that way. I've always wanted to tell stories. I got my first thing published when I was, I think, 12 years old and just never stopped, kept writing things and kept mailing them to magazines and getting them rejected and mailing them to more magazines and then writing my first novel and, and you know, just going on and on. Um, and when I got a job out of college, my job was to be a technical writer for a research laboratory. I, I was doing laser manuals and chemical protective clothing handbooks, and, and this was for you know, a government research lab, so I was surrounded by uh, scientists and supercomputers and all kinds of really cool stuff, which was very inspirational for a uh, science fiction guy. 
Uh, and in fact, I used a lot of that experience for, for any of your people who have read my Jedi Academy trilogy. There's a big imperial research lab called the Maw Installation where they're developing super weapons mm-hmm. as well. I, I worked for the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory where all the people around me were designing nuclear weapons. <laughs> wow. So I used a lot of that background to um, to add it into my, my Jedi Academy trilogy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the Jedi Academy trilogy because that was uh, your first step into a larger world, so to speak, with, with the Star Wars media tie-ins. What was, how did you first get involved with Bantam and, and with that whole conglomerate over there? Well, that was when I, I didn't know I was becoming a legend at the time, but I guess that, that was what it, it started out being, uh-huh. right? <laughs> by doing the expanded universe stuff. So I had been writing novels, and I had published, I think, seven novels on my own ahead of time. Um, I had worked, done some solo novels and some collaborative novels with uh, Doug Beeson. We did some high-tech thrillers. And I was writing science fiction, and it was all very well received and got good reviews, which which means it didn't sell all that well. <laughs> it just got critical recognition. But what I, and a lot of them were for Bantam books, and what I was doing without realizing it, I was I was auditioning. I was, um, I would contract the books, and I would deliver my manuscripts on time and and they were the length that I said they were going to be and I was easy to work with and when the editor asked for revisions I didn't turn into a diva I kind of worked through them and got the thing rewritten and sent it back and and I was reliable and and cooperative and when Lucasfilm asked Bantam for writers that uh, might be good picks for doing Star Wars books uh, they submitted some samples of my work and Timothy Zahn's and Dave Wolverton's and Kathy Tires and I mean none of us knew they were doing this mm-hmm. and Tim was the very first trilogy with the Heir to the Empire the Thrawn trilogy and mine was the second trilogy and I got a phone call out of the blue from my editor at Bantam and she asked me you know do you like Star Wars and I said of course I like Star Wars everybody likes Star Wars uh, and she asked if I wanted to write three sequels to it I mean at at the time I I think. Tim's first book had just come out. Um, I, I'm not sure I paid that much attention to it. It did just come out. I mean, there were Star Trek books out every month, but there were there was nothing with Star Wars. We we just weren't thinking about Star Wars. This was seven years or so after Return of the Jedi, and nobody was talking about new Star Wars movies, and and we just kind of all thought it had it had gone into the back burner, and then. Uh, Tim wrote Heir to the Empire, and then I got asked to write the Jedi Academy books, and the rest is imaginary history. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. You you mentioned having to follow up the uh, Timothy Zahn, the first expanded universe books to come out in a decade, really, for Star Wars. What was it like working with not only Timothy Zahn, but then the authors that came after you? I believe, I think it was Barbara Hambly had to come after you with Children of the Jedi, um, did you work with all the authors to kind of coordinate the stories, or what was that uh, process like? Well, remember, at the beginning, there weren't very many of right. us, so it was pretty easy for us to stay in, in touch. And, uh, you know, I got, in, I got in contact with Tim. In fact, I remember as soon as I got uh, asked to do the Jedi Academy trilogy, then, of course, I, I grabbed a copy of Heir to the Empire, and then I received a a pre-release review copy, which had no cover on it, just sort of like the typesetting glued together uh, of Dark Force Rising, uh, so I could read and try to catch up on everything. And then Tim sent me his rough draft manuscript for The Last Command. So that was, I mean, I was working on my stuff before any of these other books had even been 
released. And one thing that that uh, I discovered too was that uh, Dark Horse Comics had done a Dark Empire graphic novel series by Tom Veach and Cam Kennedy, which also took place after Return of the Jedi. And I read those, and I I liked those comics a lot. It was a cloned empire coming back, emperor coming back, and and Leia has another kid who's Anakin, and uh, Luke goes over to the dark side. And I, um, uh, so I called my person at Lucasfilm because I read Tim's books, and Tim's Tim's take place before the Dark Empire stuff, and my Jedi Academy books take place right after the Dark Empire stuff. And I asked Lucasfilm uh, about the comics. They said, holy cow, there's a lot of stuff that happens in here. And she said, well, you don't really have to take those into account. Just don't mention it. And I said, "Um, Leia has another kid, and Luke goes over to the dark side, and the Emperor comes back. It's not the sort of thing that you just don't mention. So I I made the conscious decision to to pull the Dark Empire storyline and the Thrawn Thrawn trilogy storyline as actual history into the Jedi Academy books. Mm-hmm. So all these events had actually happened before. It wasn't, um, again, this is like prehistory dawn of time stuff that just at the beginning of, of the expanded universe. And uh, because I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, I, I was driving up to Skywalker Ranch like once a month. Yeah. I would be meeting with the Lucasfilm people. And we had we had lunch, and we had a lot of brainstorming sessions. And there was... When I started doing the books and when I was pulling the Dark Empire things in it, we actually had a conversation, and there was a real real consideration about, well, when we do Star Wars books, is this an actual history, and does a book take place in a certain time period so that the events either happened before or after it? Or, uh, and at the time, remember, there were Star Trek books out every month, and, and Star Trek had made the conscious decision that no book was going to connect to any other book, that every one of them, you could just pick them up at random and read it like it's an episode of the TV show. Mm-hmm. And we decided that Star Wars was a genuine history, that things happened, that they weren't just take-it-or-leave-it adventures, that there was uh, a storyline going on. And so my books, I, I mean, I intentionally made, referred to Thrawn, and we put stuff in there so that it it took place at a certain time period. Right. And while I was writing mine, Tim was able to put a couple of things into the last command that are like like foreshadowing bits of my Jedi Academy books, and and so we were um, we were all talking about what was going on. And Tom Veach, who wrote the the comics, uh, he was also involved in it. And then Tom started writing his Tales of the Jedi comics, which were four thousand years before the movies, and he and I decided to tie together my Jedi Academy trilogy with his Tales of the Jedi comics and and so we were we were kind of this this small Star Wars club that we were putting together things and um of course then it sort of exploded there right. became so many authors and so many things and then there were there were the the Star Wars games coming out the X-Wing games and each one of those had its own backstory and and it it just kind of got overwhelming although we tried we tried to hold it all together and then of course disney decided they were all legends anyway <laughs> so they put it in a different time right so well i mean let's go to the jedi academy trilogy and you kind of mentioned that now it's all all legends but really i mean these were coming out before the phantom menace and before the prequels and you kind of established this idea of a jedi training academy and and luke's journey after the return of the jedi ended 
Um, what was your thought process in terms of where Luke was, what the academy would actually teach, and then how that kind of evolved over time? Because then you went back, of course, with the Young Jedi Knight series and really delved into it. Well, you know, it, it seems sort of an obvious thing if, if Obi-Wan was tra- and Yoda were training Luke that he would want to bring the Jedi Knights back because in the dark times and the Empire was falling apart and and the world or the, the galaxy needed Jedi Knights. And, of course, this has been filled in afterward with the Clone Wars and the uh, Episode 1, 2, and 3 and stuff. But but it hasn't been all that long since there had been, since there were a lot of Jedi Knights all over the place. And it seemed like uh, an obvious thing for if, if the, Repub- the New Republic was pulling itself together, they would want to have these, these paladins, these, these guys who could um, stand for truth, justice, and the New Republic way throughout the, the galaxy. And Luke is the only person who can train them, because Yoda's gone and Obi-Wan's gone. Uh, unless, of course, you wanted to dig up some other Jedi and some other planet, and there are plenty of them out there, I guess. But Luke himself knows that his own training was rushed. I mean, he's, he doesn't have a PhD. He barely has a, has a bachelor's degree as a, as a Jedi, but he's kind of the only one there. And so he's going to try to train and do his best. But of course, if everything turned out just perfectly, it would be kind of a boring trilogy. So obviously some of his training is flawed. One of his, his students, Kip Duran, gets too ambitious and starts um, being seduced by the dark side and and taking shortcuts and of course then that that leads down to him him turning into a pre Kylo Ren and uh, that's sort of a I mean it's not the most unique story it's kind of a what extends naturally from what you're doing when you have a teacher and they're playing with dangerous stuff and they don't quite know what they're doing somebody is going to go too far and that was what what the Jedi Academy kind of sparked from and and it resonated obviously i i see a lot of little details taken in the uh, in the new films and stuff definitely and that's it's it's a nice testament to to that idea and to, to what it became i would love to talk about the the young jedi knights because i mean personally that was literally the first book i ever read was returned to ord mantel for for the star wars franchise um and it was my introduction to the expanded universe and and you co-wrote those with your wife what was it like working together to kind of create this very fleshed out world that has meant a lot to a lot of people especially especially me well those books have really had a lot of impact on people i i spend for years and years now i've done many many like comic cons and pop culture cons over the year i had back in 2016 i did 21 of them in a year And I just, I mean, we get lots and lots of Star Wars fans coming up to us, and uh, I think we get more comments on the Young Jedi Knights books that so many people that, like, these books kept me alive through high school, and I I survived high school because of this, because uh, so many Star Wars fans, so many science fiction fans, feel like they're special, but they're misfits, and reading about these characters really helped them out. And Lucasfilm approached me with doing a series for young adult uh, readers uh, after I had done quite a few other projects for them. Like I said, I mean, it was my monthly trip up to Skywalker Ranch and we're having lunch and, and uh, the licensing person at Lucasfilm says, Kevin, do you think there are any young adult readers who like Star Wars? And, and I said, well, of course. 
previously they had had some kids books out that didn't do all that well they were the the glove of darth vader right. and zorba the hut's revenge right. and and i've i don't want to denigrate the author but those really are pretty juvenile stories they're they're not terrific stories and when when they asked me if i wanted to do some young adult stuff for star wars I thought, well, here, here's a background that I had. Because when I was a kid, I, I read like the Hardy Boys mysteries. And the Hardy Boys were like the, the most vanilla, clean-cut, bland things you could read. But there was one story that I read. Um, I, I forget what the title of it was. But, but there was like this big bomb in the Empire State Building, and it was going to blow up. And the Hardy Boys had to find the bomb, and they had to deactivate it. And I remember the Hardy Boys, Frank, Frank says to Joe, Joe, we have to find that bomb before it blows up the Empire State Building, because if it blows up the entire building, somebody might get hurt. (laughs) And I thought, well, duh. I mean, at 10 years old, I'm reading this going, this is stupid. Of course somebody's going to get hurt if the building's blown up. And so I said to Lucasfilm that if we were going to do young adult stuff with Star Wars, that it had to be a real Star Wars adventure, that they that they weren't going to go save the whales. They were actually going to have a real Star Wars adventure, which meant that these were kids who were going to be in real danger, and somebody can get hurt. Somebody can get killed. This is what happens. But the main difference is the books will be shorter, and the characters will be younger. But in our minds, we were just writing regular Star Wars stories. It just happened that the characters were in their teen years, and and the books were half the length of another book. So... The Young Jedi Knight series, which were, it was kind of like a six book. The first six books were one story arc, and then the next five were another story arc. And then uh, we did a final trilogy to, to wrap everything up. But they were like long extended stories, and they were genuine adventures. And um, and characters did die. Their parents died. Planetary populations got, got attacked. Mm-hmm. Um Tanel Ka loses her arm, which is to me one of the most powerful things that we ever wrote right. in the Star Wars universe. When when she loses her arm because her lightsaber fails because she didn't do a good job in building it, uh, and and her best friend Jason is the one who's the, who hurts her, but he doesn't mean to. And and I mean, there's just so much stuff wrapped into that. And and we we went to Lucasfilm saying, here's what we want to do. We want to cut off Tanel Ka's arm, and and they were like not not sure and we said look these are kids playing with lightsabers and these are really dangerous weapons it's like a kid finding his dad's gun in the desk drawer you don't play with these things because somebody might get killed and we want to show that they're dangerous weapons and somebody's going to get seriously hurt and they agreed and said okay well if she has her arm cut off we can always just put a new one on her and then we went well (laughs) no not that either because that's against her character and so you know it it we really went through it, and, and we got very wrapped up in these characters. I mean, Jason and Jaina and, and uh, Tanel Khan, and I, I really loved MTD, our, our sort of uh, surrogate C-3PO mm-hmm. droid that was, that was on, and, and uh, Lobaka, the Wookiee. Right. I, I really wish after, in the, in the regular Expanded Universe Chronicles, after Chewbacca died, I wish that they had brought Lobaka up as a, as a replacement. He's mentioned a few right. times in the Extended book. But, but you know, Loey is still there. We can we can still use him somehow. Right. 
That's so great. Yeah, those, I mean, it was kind of that thing where it was a, an accessible book for me, I think as like a seven-year-old, right, eight-year-old, and my parents felt comfortable giving that to me, and it really uh, kind of put me on this path to where we are right now, really, and, and so um, they meant a lot to me, and they meant a lot to a lot of people, and, and really the storytelling that it wasn't pandering, and it was um, story-driven, character-driven, great experiment. And Jason, it is dumb jokes. We had to solicit from the fans that we need some more dumb jokes to put in there, <laughs> and, and we tried to fit one in every book, I think, right. but... Yeah, those those were great, but that was that was really hard work. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're looking at it now in in perspective, those were 14 books, and we wrote and published one every three months without missing a deadline for 14 books. So that's 14 times three months, whatever that mm-hmm. is, however many years that took. And I mean, that was that was a real long distance haul to to be writing writing one book while we were editing another book, while we were proofreading that other book, while we were like releasing and promoting another book. It was just this nonstop um, books coming out and books coming out and books coming out. And, and But the fan mail that we got from the Young Jedi Knights was just just very uh, uh, gratifying. And, and people still, I mean, people still come up with, with their battered old copies to get them signed and <laughs> and uh we I think we we got a lot of good readers from that. So yeah, I I I love those days working on Star Wars and then because of Star Wars I got to work on the X-Files and on Batman and on Superman and and then I've worked on many books in the Dune universe with Frank Herbert's right. son Brian Herbert and there's a new Dune movie being filmed right now and I'm I'm working on that with them. I'm creative consultant and and reading all the scripts and watching all the the reports that are coming out and and have various series of my own. I've got a publishing house. I've got you know, it just Yeah. It it kind of launched me into all kinds of different parts of my career. Definitely. And uh, we can talk a whole another podcast about my love of Dune and how excited I am to see this franchise grow and grow and continue. Um but one of the things that really stand out on this long list, I think probably over 50 things published, whether issues of a comic book or parts of a series or standalone books, uh, one of the ones that, that really stands out even now is the illustrated Star Wars universe, the, the book that you worked on together with Ralph McQuarrie. What was that process like mm-hmm. working with him and, and growing oh, that book man. together? Well, and, and you know, that, was, that was one of these projects that just fell in my lap because... Um, Lucasfilm was looking for a writer to write like these fake National Geographic articles for all the planets, um, and I was the only Star Wars writer that they had who lived within driving distance of Ralph McQuarrie's studio and Skywalker Ranch, and so I would every month I would spend a day with Ralph, and wow. we would go, okay, this this month we're we're doing uh, we're doing Dagobah, and so we would just sit in his studio and and kind of brainstorm weird swamp life forms and their life cycles and and like these spiders that turned into trees that grew into the swamp and and I mean we just got really really goofy ideas and and Ralph would just be sketching them out on his on his drafting table and and he had shelves and shelves of National Geographic magazines that he had filed uh based on which ones had um good like icicles and glaciers and and we were doing hoth once and i i was talking about uh i made up ice geysers that what if, what if you had like these geysers 
but it was so cold that all the vapor would just like freeze and build up. And I've been to Yellowstone and the old, uh, and they build up kind of towers in the geysers at, at Yellowstone during wintertime. And so we, we came up with these, these gigantic, like redwood tree stumps. They're all made out of layers of ice and steam uh, in Hoth. And as we're brainstorming this, Ralph turns to his, his shelf with, at National Geographics and he starts pulling out like Antarctic photographs and he finds exactly the right icicles he's looking for and he just copies them and, and puts them into his painting. And, and you know, that was really exciting. But the other thing was because Ralph was doing original paintings for the illustrated Star Wars universe, um, but we wanted to fill up the book with all kinds of artwork and, and Ralph is one man. He can't fill up a whole book in the time we had allowed. So they, they put me in the Lucasfilm art archives, which is kind of like the warehouse where the Ark of the Covenant is stored. And I'm up at Skywalker Ranch once a month, just digging through drawers and drawers and drawers and drawers of their old alien sketches and spaceship sketches. And, and a lot of these things are, are Gen, really and truly, they're, they're they're scribbled on cocktail napkins that were stuck in a drawer, and and you know just spending all kinds of days pawing through all this stuff and trying to sort. Well, this is from Endor, and this is from Tatooine, and this is from Alderaan, and and it's just um, it, it was a very exciting time to be going through all that stuff. That is that is honestly the dream. <laughs> uh, one of the series that really stands out to me especially now with the kind of the resurgence back towards it is the tales of anthology series um, that you were the editor of as well as contributed some short stories to what was the impetus behind that book series and, and how did that kind of evolve over time well that was it kind of spun off from my work in the lucasfilm art archives i'm spending you know, all day pawing through folders and folders and folders and the the lucasfilm person had her desk in the in the same like art library and she was meeting with the uh, deputy publisher of Bantam Books and and they were just talking about other projects they were uh, thinking about doing an anthology of Star Wars stories and and brainstorming bringing in all kinds of other authors to write Star Wars stories and and they talked themselves out of it because they thought that it would just be too complicated to um, to make stories that were all about like Luke Skywalker and Han Solo that wouldn't contradict this this history they were building. Remember, I told you, they, they tried to make every single thing fit into an actual timeline in the history. And if you just suddenly brought in 15 writers to each write a story, well, how do they not step on each other's toes? And how can Luke be here when he's in here in this next story? And, and that was just too complicated, and they were about to give up. And I just, like, from the peanut gallery, I spotted out, well, no, don't do that. Why don't you do it? collection of like stories of all the characters in the cantina scene everybody knows the cantina scene and and do the story about the bartender and why he hates droids and the story about the guy with the death sentence on 12 systems and the guy uh, and and the band story and and Greedo's story and 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 why he was such a bad shot although that wasn't relevant at the time um and they loved that idea, so they had me do that one, and they loved it so much they asked me to do one more, which was Tales of Jabba's Palace, and then they asked me to do a third one, which was Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Which, and to me, I was like a big, um, kind of like a symphony conductor because I had all of these writers 
writing characters, but everybody had to have a very specific character because you couldn't have three people writing Greedo's story and three people writing the bartender's story. So I had to assign you writing the bartender's story and you're writing the Momo and Nadon the Hammerhead story and, and, and things like that. So, um, and, and a lot of times, especially in the Job of the Hutt's Palace book, we tried to make it so that all the stories interconnected, that it was sort of like a big, a big parlor game that what happened in one person's story reflected on what happened in somebody else's story. And, and it sounded fun at the first, but then trying to herd all these cats to make them write their stories in the right way was, was kind of a challenge. But I love how those books turned out. They are, uh, to my knowledge, they are still the three best-selling science fiction anthologies of all time. Wow. So it uh, it kind of showed the readers liked them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess moving from Star Wars, just briefly, because um, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I would I would hate myself if I didn't ask. How did your involvement uh, both with Brian Herbert and the Dune series start? Because that has just spawned, as you kind of mentioned earlier, just spawned this incredible line not only of continuing the series, but now in this rejuvenation of what I consider to be the best sci-fi book and book series of all time yeah the dune was always my favorite science fiction book ever i mean it was the lord of the rings to fantasy dune is to science fiction and and i just i read it and i loved it i read it i think when i was 12 years old and then i read it again when i was a freshman in college and holy cow there was so much more in that book that i didn't see the first time through and then i read it again and i read it again and, and it just was the most magnificent science fiction book ever and frank herbert wrote um a total of six books in the series of his own, uh, and then he passed away. But the last book that he wrote, Chapter House, uh, in the series, Chapter House Dune, just ends on a cliffhanger, a, you know, Luke, I'm your father kind of <laughs> cliffhanger. And and then he passed away, and, and as a Dune reader, I've been waiting and waiting, like, well, well, what happened, and how do we finish this story? And, and his son, Brian, was already an accomplished science fiction writer with... Um, I don't know, six, seven science fiction books of his own published. And I kept waiting for him to write the last Dune book. And, and 10 years passed, and he never did. And finally, uh, after all my Star Wars success, and I had a lot of success on my, my own of uh, original science fiction work, um, I, I wrote him a, a letter, an unsolicited letter, because I had never met him, but I, I had a mutual friend. Mm -hmm. And I, I asked if he was ever going to finish it or if he wasn't, uh, if we could maybe work on it together because just as a Dune fan, I wanted to, <laughs> to wrap up the story. And we really hit it off, and as we started brainstorming about what we could do, and then we thought of doing some prequels first because it had been so long since the last Dune book was published, we wanted to get people um, back into the series um, kind of like I'll, I'll make my snarky peanut butter ca peanut gallery comment here that with you know, James Cameron just pushed off the second Avatar movie by like five more years or something. So by the time his second one comes out, who's going to remember the first one? And I, I I wanted to not jump into that. I wanted to revamp interest in Dune. So we did our our prequels: House Atreides, House Harkonnen, and House Carino. And in working on all that stuff, we. Um, started digging into Frank Herbert's archives and finding um, unfinished manuscripts and all of his notes and, and chapters that he had written. And we just found this treasure trove of material that we could work with, his history of the Butlerian Jihad and, and his character backgrounds for like the Reverend Mother Mohayim and Jessica and her first meeting with Duke Leto. And, and it just was so much stuff to work right. with that um, we've... 
I, I think we've done 15 Dune books, and there it's not like a Robert Jordan Wheel of Time where it's 15 books and a big long story right. that we do. Here's a trilogy in this time period and a trilogy in this time period, so that you have different places you can you can read, um, kind of like different Star Trek shows in different time periods instead of having to to read 14 books before you get to book number 15. It's different places you can read. That is so great. Yeah, and it, I mean, again, I I am so excited for like a whole new generation and a whole new crowd to, to come to not only the original, but then the series that you've continued um, with this new movie, because I really think it's going to breathe even more life into into this incredible, incredible sci-fi franchise. So thank you for, for continuing that. Well, November 2020, Thanksgiving weekend, <laughs> and uh, not this Thanksgiving, but next Thanksgiving, it's going to be the the big holiday release. So um, <laughs> I'm so excited. Gotta go see it. I, I'll be there opening night, I'm sure. Um, before I let you go, I would love to briefly talk about your latest book, uh, Spine of the Dragon. And when we were talking, you were so excited and, and reading more into it. I'm just very excited to see what you're about to bring to the to the fantasy world, especially. Do you want to explain to the listeners a little bit of what it's going to be? Sure, because I've, I've written, well, in addition to the Dune stuff and Star Wars and everything else, I've always kept writing my own and developing my own big worlds and universes, and I did a, a huge science fiction space opera called The Saga of Seven Sons, which is um, you know, this, this huge epic, seven volumes long, all of it was plotted out, I published them all, uh, and then Brian Herbert and I also wrapped up a big Dune trilogy, so that, that was where we stopped the Dune books um, several years ago, about two, three years ago, um, not completely finished, but we were just, we were done for now, we took a break, we finished that up. And so I kept thinking, well, what do I really want to sink my teeth into? What do I want to get into that, that's just big enough to hold my interest that I can... I mean, I don't want to just knock off quick little stories. I like to do something that, that you do all the world building, the history, the magic system, the cultures, the characters, and, and you build it all up. And, it, and it's, it's very much like Game of Thrones. I mean, there's so much stuff going on and so much background. And I decided to do a big fantasy story and it's uh it's it's a trilogy but it's kind of designed that i could also keep going like the the terry goodkind sort of truth books that it just uh it's it's a series and it's a world and it's a big conflict and and you know in fact i created something so big i would be i would feel it's a little too rushed to wrap it up in a third book but uh i i will if i need to but it's uh it's like two continents at war it's it's humans on a uh well normal people on a world that doesn't have like like elves and trolls and stuff but uh kind of a game of thrones world lots of different political alliances and and it's almost like a religious hatred two con- continents that hate each other they've been at war but the problem is there's this great ancient race called the reths and they're the ones that that created humans and they they were exterminated in wars long and long long ago but they believe that there's a giant dragon at the heart of the world, and if they can wake up the dragon and kill it, then the world would be recreated and made perfect. And now these ancient race have come back, and they're starting to war with each other, and they're trying to wake the dragon and destroy the world. And only the humans can stop them, but the humans are too busy fighting each other that they can't focus on who the real enemy is. And there there are dragons, and there are monsters, and they're there is magic and there are villains and and 
princesses, and it's just this huge cast of characters, and it's a it's a global conflict. It's not just here. I'm going to take this magic sword and and stick it in a stone somewhere. It, it's it, it's the plot itself is kind of the big thing. And Spine of the Dragon, I've worked. I'm a fast writer, but I worked two years on this book. I spent that much time just developing everything and getting all of the stuff right. And I think it's got some of my most powerful stuff in it, and it and it comes out on June 4th, so we're real close to, to its release. In fact, just yesterday, a, a very weary-looking UPS guy showed up with like five cases of my author copies that he dropped on the front porch. And, of course, it's a big fat fantasy. And, uh, in fact, you can go to... Uh, my website is wordfire.com, so W-O-R-D-F-I-R-E.com, and it's got the the cover text on it and a picture of the cover and a bunch of ordering buttons if you want to get a copy. But uh, it's and that's what I'm working on now. I told you I wrote chapter 81 and 82. Well, this is this is book two in the series, wow. so I'm I, I'm working really hard, and I've got like nine days left to work, and it looks like I'm going to finish book two like the day before book one hits the bookstore. So um, unlike certain other series, when you read one of my series, you, you can count on the next book being out on time. So <laughs> it. it will be there. The second book is is pretty much already written by the time the first book comes out, and uh, it's just a, a really big story. I've I, I've written about 150 books, and I try to learn something with each one. And I, I, I learned a lot from the Star Wars books about how to write something that, that would please a huge audience because I, before that I was kind of writing angry young man books about anti-heroes who didn't do what they were supposed to do. But Star Wars, of course, you have to write heroes and you have to do, do romance and action and space battles and colorful stuff. And, and I learned how to do that. And then with Dune, I learned how to incorporate all the kind of politics and intrigues and complex plotting into things and and for spine of the dragon i i like to think i pulled all of the threads together and and came up with with the best thing that i can possibly write for now so got to keep learning well that's perfect um again spine of the dragon coming out soon mr anderson thank you so so much for coming on really appreciate it well thanks i enjoyed it now i'll get back to editing some chapters because you know it always goes on you can't do it you can't do one thing or another got to keep writing so thanks everybody hope you enjoyed it Thank you so much to Mr. Anderson for not only coming on the podcast, but for inspiring me and a whole generation of avid young Star Wars fans. I am so glad I was able to tell him how much those Young Jedi Knight books meant to me, and I am so grateful to hear his stories and his words of advice. His latest epic novel, Spine of the Dragon, came out yesterday, June 4th, and is available everywhere books are sold. Links to purchase are also in the show notes. For upcoming appearance information, as well as his next releases, head to wordfire.com. Until next week, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the Force be with you.